We are in our third week of a series that we've called I Am, which coming out of Easter, we thought it would be great to look at the Gospel of John and look at these seven statements where, where Jesus is really declaring to be the Messiah. He's proclaiming to be the Son of God. And what he does is he uses different imagery to help us understand this truth. So I, I find myself with, with our five boys, we're a soccer family, so all five of them are playing soccer. I find that I do this with my sons when I'm teaching them or discipling them. You know, if I can relate it to soccer, you know, like it's kind of like taking a penalty shot. Or it's kind of like, like being in the net, you know, the boundaries, whatever. If I can find a way to relate it to soccer, then it hits home. They see it clearer. They understand it. And I think it's important that as we look at these I am statements, like Jesus is not just saying things in a cute way or it's not just a cryptic way of explaining who he is. He's taking real life experiences of the people and he's trying to help them understand. In his loving kindness and in his patience, he's trying to help them understand. Remember when Jerry, Jerry did a great job of, of opening up this series the past couple weeks. And remember that first week where he shared how Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Because he had just performed a miracle before their eyes. They're starting to connect the dots and they're starting to say like, oh, this is kind of like what happened in the Old Testament. You provided that manna from heaven. You're giving bread and you're... Jesus says, all right, so take all of this that you're experiencing, all the wonder and excitement, the fact that I fed you from five loaves and two fish. And hear this, I'm the bread of life. He's helping them understand with what they're experiencing in their interactions with him, what they're experiencing in the community around them, right? So that second week, remember that picture that Jerry showed? Feast of Tabernacles where the temple was all illuminated. I mean, I can't imagine walking up through the city and seeing the illumination of those candelabras. The excitement, the sensory sort of excitement that that creates, not only just remembering what they're celebrating, in God's faithfulness and guidance. But Jesus, and Jerry put it great, he, he said that when Jesus said that I am the light of the world, he is basically saying, I am God. Making a very definitive statement that would have been received that way. But what he's doing is he's taking the festival that they're experiencing. He's taking all that wonder of the illuminated temple and he's saying, all right, all right now that I kind of have your attention, it's like this, look, at, I am the light of the world. So as Jesus is, is um, using these I am statements, he's helping us understand. And this week, Jesus starts to, we're going to hear where Jesus says that I am the gate or I am the door. And he starts to kind of paint this picture. It's not really a parable. It's more like what you'd call an allegory or some imagery to help us understand who he is. And he taps into something that's very familiar to the people of that day, which is shepherding. What I love about this story is it's the chunk that I'm teaching from is kind of in two parts where Jesus explains it. And then what it says in John 10, 6, listen to what it says. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech. So he used the figure of speech of a shepherd and the thieves and robbers and the, the gatekeeper. We'll look into that in a little bit. And it says, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus then goes on to explain it a different way. I love this because Jesus it just shows his patience. 
And these are the Pharisees that he's speaking with. He's confronted with the Pharisees at this time because the chapter previous, he had just healed a blind man. And the Pharisees heard the worship of this blind man. They literally just you know, t- told him that he's condemned in sin and that they just drove him out of his presence. These people were enemies to what Jesus was doing, how Jesus was restoring, not just, not just sight, but just spiritual, spiritually for his people. Here we say, here we read that, that the Pharisees did not understand, and then Jesus, in his patience and his loving kindness, he goes on to explain it a different way. Even among his enemies. He helps them understand. I want us to think of that. As we now turn in our study to the Word of God, I, I, I pray that it's our prayer this morning that we are asking God, help me understand. Help me understand what, you're, what you want us to know. What we, you want us to know about you. Help us to understand so that it firms up our faith, firms up our relationship with him. We see him in a new light. We see him with different imagery. Help us understand. He wants us to understand. He wants these words of his written word to to fly off these pages, to penetrate our hearts, to convict us where necessary, to encourage us. So before we turn to God's word this morning, I'd like to pray. We're going to pray that prayer that, God, you would just help us understand what you're teaching us. Let's pray together. Our great God, humbly we come before you because you are so much greater than anything that we have of ourselves, that anything that we can experience in this world. God, you are so much greater. And we believe that, that you have given us your written word as a means for us to know you more, to understand who you are. God, we pray that these words embolden our faith and they embolden our hearts. that they draw us closer and closer to you, closer and closer to your son, Jesus, as we pursue to live righteous lives. We acknowledge that it's only made possible by the righteousness of your son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. So we invite you now to stir in us in excitement, wonder, and understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 10, um, verses 1 through 10. And what we're going to see is that, that um, before Jesus' next I am statement, he starts to paint the picture of shepherding, of something that would be very familiar to the people that day. And it's something that, that we We're going to spend some time to to understand more so we can understand what Jesus is saying. So I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 3. John 10, starting in verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So again, this imagery and this sort of cast of characters are going to be something familiar to the people of that day. And as much as we could start to kind of look into, well, who is the gatekeeper and who are the thieves and robbers and what, really what it comes down to is this, and what Jesus is making a statement of authority. He's proclaiming authority over his sheep. And yes, he's talking to the Pharisees and the way that the Pharisees drove away that healed blind man, Jesus is contrasting that against how he calls his sheep and how he leads them. But the idea of thieves and robbers to a shepherd is that of, of, of people who don't have authority over the flock. They have to come in from some other means, not through the gate. They have to either come over the wall, sneak their way in from behind, whatever it is. The thieves and robbers that Jesus is talking about are, are, are people that don't have authority over the flock. And yes, that's got to zing a little bit to the Pharisees that he's speaking to. So the thieves and robbers, they're rustlers. They're misguiding. They're stealing. They would have to travel over the barrier of the walls, different than through the gate, and they lacked authority. And again, in this instance, Jesus was talking to, and he could be referring to the Pharisees because they had just heard that Jesus healed a blind man. They ignored that man's claim. They, they cursed him, and they drove him away. But what we need to know about those thieves and robbers is they got to find another way to sneak into the sheep pen to steal the flock because they lack authority. They introduced the idea of a gatekeeper. Now, some have said, like, oh, maybe this was John the Baptist ushering in Jesus. Maybe this is the Holy Spirit. And again, those things may apply. But ultimately, he's, he's using this character of a gatekeeper to emphasize the idea of authority. It wasn't uncommon in those days for many shepherds or many families to kind of put their flocks together into one pen while they're going off, maybe catching some sleep, and they would hire uh, pretty much a doorkeeper to watch over the sheep and to watch over that entrance, to watch over the gate. That gatekeeper or hired hand would know the shepherds. And he would, know, he would know who had authority to come in through the gate for his sheep. And lastly, Jesus describes himself as the shepherd, with that authority, watching over his flock, calling them by name. In those days, shepherds, and even still today, shepherds create uh, either uh, music that they play on an instrument, or even a call, like a really obscure peculiar call that they relate to their sheep with. And it becomes a very intimate relationship. They know the voice of their shepherd and they follow. As I was reading and studying, I came across something as recent as 1980. There was a Palestinian revolt 
And as a result, Israeli families had their sheep taken away and thrown into a large pen. So different flocks mingling. And as the story goes, a woman came up and asked, was basically begging for her sheep back because her husband had died. And they, they relied on this flock for provision. And the person guarding the pen kind of said sarcastically, I tell you what, if you can find your sheep, I'll let you take every one of them. So as the story goes, the woman's son came out with a flute, started playing a song, and one by one, sheep heads started to pop up and look over. One by one, they made their way to the entrance. The story says that 25 sheep followed that family home. Now, whether that's true or not, whether that's, you know, a, t- a tall tale, I, I don't know. But either way, it accurately describes and depicts a shepherd's call and a shepherd's relationship to their sheep. I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful story. So what Jesus is emphasizing in this section is his authority the relationship that he has with his sheep. We read on in in verses four and five. It says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What I love about this imagery too, and it's again something that wouldn't be foreign to the people of, the, of, of that day, but it was a little foreign to me because when I think of shepherding, when I think of gathering any sort of animal, I kind of think of like cattle herding or, you know, like sheepdogs running circles around. And what's so sweet about this imagery and so true of Jesus is that he leads and we follow. He leads and we follow. We know our shepherd's voice. He knows his sheep by name. So shepherds lead their sheep. They're not gathering them and kind of poking and prodding them along. There's a very intimate and special relationship there. It made me think of Psalm 23. Read that psalm so many times. But as I was reading through this dynamic and this sort of relationship and this imagery, it kind of took a different, I saw it through a different facet. So take a moment now, in, in, in light of all of this, what the, the, the picture that Jesus is painting of a shepherd and his sheep, of his care, the awareness that there are going to be those thieves and robbers that are coming in from a different means but the authority that Jesus has over his flock. Psalm 23, verses one through four says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me 
along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod and that staff would have been familiar language, the idea of protection, loving guidance. The rod was something they would use to sort of fend off animals, any threats to the flock. And the staff is what we normally see with a shepherd's crook, you know, where we would gently guide sheep into the fold and along. Protection and loving guidance. Jesus uses the imagery of shepherding to proclaim that he has authority over his flock. Not the Pharisees. Not the practice of the Pharisees. This is where the Pharisees start to sort of question Jesus because he heals this blind man in the chapter previous on the Sabbath. So this is where the Pharisees start kind of twisting words. Jesus is saying, no, no, I come and I have authority over my flock. I know them each by name and they follow me. They know the sound of my voice. In fact, they run away from those strangers, those thieves and those robbers. This is exactly, if you read, it's kind of comical, the story before where Jesus, is, he, Jesus heals the blind man because this man is just so elated and overflowing with joy. He's almost like snippy with the Pharisees, like, But this, this Jesus' flock, those are his people. So Jesus is proclaiming his authority. It reminds me of the end of Matthew's gospel, or one of Jesus' last words to his disciples were this. In Matthew 28, 18 and 19, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is proclaiming his authority as the shepherd of his flock. And it's at that point where in the story in John uh, 10, 6, where it says Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. The next sentence starts with, therefore, Because they didn't understand, Jesus and his patience and his loving kindness said, let me explain it a different way. See if you get this. He said, very truly, I tell you. And that very truly is translated uh, from the original text as a repetition. And in Greek and Hebrew writing, the, the repetition would be like an emphasis. So when he says very truly, it's almost like saying, no, no, listen, listen. I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, or I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Amen. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Interestingly enough, it, it's, it's also said that when shepherds would, would pen in their flock, 
And they would create a barrier or sometimes they would sort of corner them in a ravine or something. Maybe protect the barrier with thorns and thistles. Sometimes they would use that as a gate, but they would also sometimes sleep right in the gate and watch over their flock. Now, whether Jesus is referring to that specifically or not, we really don't know. But either way, it's an interesting visual. So Jesus is saying, not only do I have authority as the shepherd of my sheep, but he's also the giver of life to the full. Now, when that verse says life to the full, it means in abundance, satisfied, overflowing, much like that healed blind man. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way. We're going to see in the weeks ahead where he says, I'm the resurrection and life. He's going to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is also a society back then where there were a lot of idols and there was a lot of mistreatment. You know, you would have a national God, but then you'd have the God of this and the God of this. what's called syncretism going on. So when Jesus would say these very definitive statements, the ears would certainly perk up. But now Jesus starts to speak in this way, saying, I am the only way. I am the gate. I am the door. There's no other way in. One commentary that I read puts it this way. Jesus, the gate, is the only way that his people, the sheep, may enter the safety of the fold and the luxurious forage of the pasture. The safety of the fold and the luxurious forage of the pasture. Jesus is saying that he is the, the only way, the only hope, and the only salvation to his people. D.A. Carson writes, there is only one means of receiving eternal life, only one source of knowledge of God, only one fount of spiritual nourishment, only one basis for spiritual security, Jesus alone. Spiritual nourishment, the luxurious forage of the pasture. Spiritual security, the safety of the fold. By the way, if you, anytime you're studying through God's word, it is so helpful to pick up a commentary. That was, this is from D.A. Carson's commentary on the book of John. If you've never read or studied God's word alongside a really good commentary, it's so fruitful. But Carson is saying, Jesus alone is the gate, is the door. So herein lies the question then. If Jesus is the only way, then will you follow? Do you know the master's voice? Do you know the shepherd's voice? Does he know you by name? This question is for people who have been believing for a long time and for those who may be hearing it for the first time. Will you follow? Do you believe what Jesus is saying? Will you make Jesus the Lord of your life 
whose voice you will choose to follow? Will you proclaim that authority to your life? Will you run the other direction when you hear the voices of rustlers looking to steal your attention from the one good shepherd? Do you desire the peace of the pasture and the landscape of a world that is filled with hurt and brokenness? You can set your hope in Jesus today. Again, this may be something that you're hearing about or experiencing for the first time. Or it may be something where there's some realignment needed. Sometimes God stirs in our hearts, hearts of repentance. Maybe you can identify those rustlers who have come in from another way. They didn't have the authority that Jesus does, that have pulled your attention away from something different than our good shepherd. I would encourage you to respond to that, whether it's in realignment or whether it's for the first time. Respond to that and set your hope in Jesus. So Jesus, when he says that I am the gate, I am the door, he's not only affirming his authority as the shepherd of his flock, but also that there's only one way to experience the peace of the pasture and the hope, the life to the fullest that he brings. Set your hope in Jesus today. As we turn towards a time of communion to the Lord's table, I'd like to take a moment to silently consider these claims. For some of you, take this moment to turn back to the voice of the shepherd. For others, this may be your opportunity to enter that sheepfold, sheepfold and proclaim your faith in Christ. But as we prepare our drink and our bread this morning, Let's take a moment to pause, whether in prayer. Maybe God is kind of churning something in your heart that you need, know you need to bring before him. Let's take a moment.